You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back to the Celtics Lab Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Tepetabai. I'm joined by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. I always am. We're going to hop right in. We have a special guest, Jared Weiss of The Athletic, friend of the podcast. Jared is here to answer all of our questions as the trade deadline rapidly approaches. He's going to tell us if what we've heard is the real deal, if there's actually fire to the smoke, and maybe uh, sprinkle in any other insight. So, Jared, welcome to the pod. There's always fire when there's smoke. You know that. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm of the mind that if we're talking about it on the pod, that that fire's already been put out, but we'll see. So Jared yeah. is want for time. He gets to go watch futures Boston Celtic buddy healed play at the garden tonight. So let's get right to it. Uh, Justin, I believe you have the first round of questions. Take it away. Yeah. So in the athletic this week, you had a piece that highlighted a number of players. Boston might try to move some of which, kind of maybe surprise some people to hear about. Um, the first thing I wanted to talk about was Al Horford, which I think was a big, whoa. Tell us more about that. Yeah, I don't know why anyone besides Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown would, would elicit a whoa. We, we got a new coming into the year. This team was being cobbled together temporarily with the hope that maybe they would be good enough to compete, but they have not been. And so I think with Al, it's just as simple as he's, he's doing everything else pretty fine except for shooting. It's just missing every shot. He's missing so many wide-open shots. Um, and, I mean, credit to Horford that he's such a well-rounded and hardworking player that he's managed to keep himself pretty useful even when he's missing shots. But they just can't – they can't afford to play a center. They can't, they can't afford their center rotation to be two guys that just are not hitting three-pointers the entire time. Or at least with Horford, a guy that teams are generally not really closing out hard on and they're kind of sitting back on. So I think at this point, you know, they got Horford knowing it would probably be some sort of financial play they would eventually try to move them again to make some sort of financial maneuvering. And at this point, they're trying to see what they can do because he's not, but the way he's shooting, he's just not really contributing enough to, you know, to, to make it worth paying him what, he, uh, what he's getting. And so I don't think they're going to, I think it would be foolish for them to try to dump him for the sake of dumping him and then waste another asset. Um, you know, I think they're going to try to exchange him for somebody else that, maybe fits into their current um, needs, somebody that could actually shoot the ball well. Um, and then they're also going to look for, I don't think necessarily at the same time as making that deal, but in some other deal, they're going to look for another backup five because they don't want to elevate Ennis Freedom into that backup five spot. And uh, Grant Williams is having a good year, but you can't really count on him to be a backup five because of his size. So you do need someone else that could handle post-up things. Like we saw Houston Dirk is just completely torched them last game or a couple of games ago. So another guy who was in your article, who seems to be popping up even more recently with an article, uh, I think by Eric Pincus, a Bleacher Report, connecting him to Dallas, almost as a throwaway, is Marcus Smart. What have you been hearing about him? Yeah, I mean, 
Smart, it, I don't think I've heard anything different with Smart because like Smart has always been a trade rumors. I mean, last year there were talks about him and Harrison Barnes getting swapped. Wouldn't be surprised if that's in the cards again this year. Um, Smart is, it's funny, I can't, whenever I you know, talk about Smart getting traded, so many people respond, well, why would anyone else want him if we don't want him? It's not, it's not what it is. It's like, Smart's really, really damn good. It's that he is not, like, they've been trying to win with him for a long time. They got pretty close a bunch of times, but it's not working. And if they're going to make a change, he's their third best player. Rob Williams is starting to make a case, but I don't think Rob Williams is there yet. I think it's Smart. So Marcus is their third best player. And his extension, I think, is still fairly reasonable for his caliber of play. Um, so it's just like he's the guy that they could trade and get something of use back. And I've heard everything from trade him for a, you know, a mid to late first round pick to trade him for another kind of veteran like Harrison Barnes, something along those lines. I just think like with Smart, he's someone that can fit on so many teams in the NBA. And he, his extension is a lot. But if you're a team that thinks that he's the guy that you throw in there and it makes you it makes you gives you that playoff edge and competency, then I wouldn't be surprised if that happens with a team like, you know, Atlanta's been one of those teams that has come up so many times. It's pretty obvious that they're a team that could use them right now. And they've got a lot of people to move. So it's kind of one of those things where it's a team looking to move their guys and they're looking to find someone that could lead the defense. So apart from team building, you also talked about a sense of staleness and a lack of desperation with regards to smart. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, that wasn't with regards to Smart. That was the team overall. I mean, Marcus okay. Smart, what I should say, the staleness maybe is attributed to Smart in that just like they've been trying to win with, they've been trying to do this offensive Smart for so long and they're just not really making much progress. And so it's just the idea that you would shake something up. I mean, ideally, it's like you're either getting a really high level playmaker so you can take a lot of the burden off the Jays and get somebody that can really run the offense, although Smart is a pretty good playmaker for all of his, uh, inconsistencies and wild turnovers and stuff like that. He is still a good pick and roll player as a passer, or you're going to try to get a really good shooter, ideally a good movement shooter, you know, someone that you can actually really run play sets for. They're starting to do that with Grant Williams a little bit, doing it with Josh Richardson a little bit. Obviously they've been doing that with Jalen Brown and Jalen Brown in the last few years has been one of the league's best kind of off ball shooting guards. Um, and so I think it's just like you kind of lean in one of those two directions, either take it to really lean into Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown's playmaking, which I think has taken some strides as far as their ability this year, but they're just, they've been so often giving it to guys that weren't executing or weren't converting, or you're trying to find someone new to run it. And I don't know if you could really, really change this team up by bringing in a new playmaker and trying to switch up the offense that dramatically mid season. I think that's something you maybe want to do during the off season. That makes sense. There's two more guys who were in your piece and generally in the trade talk uh, media sphere, shall we say, uh, Josh Richardson and Dennis Schroeder. What can you say about those guys? Yeah, I mean, starting with Jay Rich, Jay Rich is having a good year, pretty much playing up to his contract. Extension next year is basically, you know, it's save money. So he's, you know, he's been playing like a $10 million player, I guess, or 12 or whatever it is. He's, he's shooting the ball really well. He doesn't shoot it that often. You know, if he shot the ball seven times a game, maybe he wouldn't be shooting 43%, but He's hitting the shots pretty well. He can he can run point for them, and I think that one of the reasons they can manage a trade smart or uh, or Schroeder is that Richardson is starting to run a little bit of point. He's done it a little bit in the past, and he's not. I don't think they want to run the whole offense through him, but they can at least go to him as part of their rotation throughout the game and make it work. And his defense has been good. Like he's been pretty decent on ball. He's he's been as a good switch defender and help defender. He's really good at 
swooping in to block shots and stuff like that. So, you know, Richardson's been pretty much what they, I think they were hoping for after a slow start. And so he's just like a player that is useful for other teams. And if the Celtics, I think, wanted to take a step back, then it makes sense to try to trade him to a competitive team that would give up something young or draft assets or something like that. So I think that's the scenario where Richardson gets moved or it's part of a package for a bigger salary guy. And he's just someone that a team can trade a big salary guy and at least say like, this is a useful rotation player. And as far as Schroeder, I think Schroeder is a complicated situation because we've been, you know, everyone's been hammering the, they're going to have to trade him because he's going to be making, he's going to be making too much. The early bird rights aren't going to be sufficient to keep him because with early bird rights, you can only pay the guy was 150% of what he's making. So you can't give him that big of a raise. Okay. Yeah, in that case, 125. So, or it's 121, 25. I can't remember right now, but yeah, 120. Thank you. I'm glad we have smart people on the show. So, um, you know, it's, I'm, I'm starting to get a little dubious as to whether he actually is going to outgrow that contract. And it is possible that he's going to be signing like a three-year deal for, you know, $9 million a year, like the mid-level three-year 30. I think it's around 10, 10 and a half next year. So it is possible that he gets slotted down into that, into that mid-level area. And then if, he's, if he likes Boston, which I haven't got too much inclination that he loves this situation to Boston. I think he's fine with it. But it is possible that they actually are in the mix to keep him and they don't necessarily have to dump him. Or they can get something out of a sign and trade for him next year, where like a team takes him into a trade exception and they give him a second round pick or whatever. So, you know, it's possible that they just hold on to him, want to keep playing through him, especially if they trade smart. It makes a lot more sense to hold on to him because you at least need a you know competent point guard. Um, but so I, my thing with Schroeder is like, you know, Schroeder when he he's been shooting the ball well lately, and sorry, car just went uh, down the wrong one way wrong and almost hit someone. So. Uh, welcome to Boston, people. So, you know, Schroeder has been shooting the ball well lately in those games where he's hitting those threes. You know, he's scoring 20, 25 points in those games. It looks great. Um, but, you know, that, that kind of comes and goes with him. And he's one of those guys that's really good at getting his buckets. But it's hard. You know, he, he only, every other few games, has a stretch where he's really running the offense and commanding the offense. And so I just, I just don't think you really want him to be in a role more than your backup point guard playing 25, 28 minutes a game. And too many times this year, they've had to put him into that role. So at that point, I'd rather just have, I'd rather be developing Peyton Pritchard, especially where they are in the standings right now. I think it just, we were kind of saying this last year too. It just seems like it makes more sense to be developing Peyton Pritchard, who Peyton Pritchard is alternated between looking like he doesn't belong out there at all and scoring 16 points in like 15 minutes and shooting lights out. And so I think you just need to give him more time to develop because Dennis Schroeder playing well hasn't made that big of, I don't think like he's the reason the team isn't winning consistently, but when he is playing well, it hasn't made that big of an impact on them winning consistently. Uh, that's a really interesting point, Jared. And I think it leads pretty nicely into our next question. So um, thinking about kind of Peyton Pritchard and the other young guys on the Celtics team, there's been some reporting from folks like Bullpit and, uh, you know, the team at heavy.com suggesting that, the Celtics front office is interested in moving uh, veteran pieces like Richardson, Schroeder, uh, et cetera, with the intent of clearing out some space for the younger guys like Pritchard, like Langford, like Neesmith, et cetera. Uh, does that kind of jibe with what you're hearing, what you're feeling from the front office? And if so, is part of that maybe to raise some of the trade value for those young guys? No, I mean, if you're doing that, you're doing that to play the young guys and make them good and hope that they get good. 
obviously, sure, you want them to have better trade value. But I mean, you if you're if you're clearing the way and you're trading veterans who are playing decently for you know for I guess for people that aren't going to replace them in the rotation, then I don't think you're developing those guys then to try to turn them into trade assets because whatever you're getting back for Josh Richardson or Dennis Schroeder or stuff like that probably going to have pretty comparable value to those guys unless they start playing dramatically better. Um, and, you know, frankly, there's a reason why Peyton Pritchard didn't break into the rotation when Dennis Schroeder was shooting like 25% from three this year. Um, you know, it's like, it's not like Emi Odoka or Brad Stevens when he was the coach were blind to the issues that we were seeing, but it's there. They're the ones that have to go out there and play these guys and are getting paid a ton of money and have been rotation players their whole lives and try to, you know, Brad Stevens can't just tell them the same stuff that everybody else is saying publicly because Brad Stevens is their boss or Ime Odoka now is their coach. You know, it's like there, there's a ton of politics involved with these things. And so as much as that's a factor, Peyton Pritchard has just not been good enough to unseat uh, Dennis Schroeder, apparently. And I think we've generally seen that when he's gotten into games, although he's definitely had some good moments. And then same thing with Romeo Langford and Aaron Neesmith. Uh Romeo just did not shoot the ball well at all earlier this year. And he hasn't become an on-ball creator yet. He's definitely improved attacking closeouts and he's improved finishing a little bit, but not enough to really hold down that spot with Josh Richardson, who's kind of like the exact same player. It's just doing it at a much higher level. And then Aaron Neesmith, like he comes out, he comes out there and he airballs his first shot like half the time. And his defense is exciting, but it's not fundamentally sound a lot of the time. So like these guys are all, ha all have these big flaws where it tells me that if you are making the moves that you're saying, it's more that you are trying to take a backseat and tank, not tank for the first pick, but take a backseat or backslide and get into the lottery and try to improve that way. And also hope that these guys start to get better. And really more so that you got to decide whether or not you want to keep developing these guys or not. You know, Romeo is getting to year four. At that point, it's like you're trading him in year four if you're not going to resign him. You know, those guys, you know, Smith and Peyton Pritchard, same thing where especially with Neesmith, the development has been so slow that you got to start accelerating that process the way that they did with Rob Williams late in his second season where he started to get minutes in the bubble, started to show what he can do a little bit. And, and just one quick thing is that we did see last year, those guys got more minutes later in the year. And that's how it always goes. These guys, the young guys always start to get more minutes later in the year. And I think we're getting towards that point where we're going to start seeing. So speaking of kind of broader questions about what is the front office looking to do, we've also heard some buzz around the Celtics desire to get under the tax uh, heading into the kind of end portion of the season. They oh, do. What's up? I'm just kidding. So the question that we have for you, Jared, uh, as a kind of a way to wrap up is, do you think that there's a good move for the Celtics out there that allows them to kind of improve their team uh, and that uh, allows them to kind of head into this season, uh, into the second part of the season under the tax, but still kind of trending up? Or do you think there's a player out there that it's worth it to kind of stay over the tax for? I mean, I just, they haven't been good enough to make me think that they're a player away and they're not in a position to strike for a, a big star player, which doesn't really seem like there's many high level players that are available. Um, you know, they could go for John Collins or one of these Atlanta guys. And I still don't think that's going to be quite enough, although it certainly would be a nice step forward. So at this point, I think that I wouldn't be surprised if they just try to move some guys um, for draft picks and just try to have a bunch of draft picks so that they can then 
get in the mix in the trade market in the offseason. And they just do enough to just maybe clear the way for one of these guys to get more rotation minutes and to dip, dip under the tax and try to find more ways to cut long-term salary now. So, Jared, um, I'm going to let you go. I know you got to go to the game and we say many thanks for, for coming on. But because you're my friend and I'm going to put you on the spot, in or out on trading for Buddy Heald, 10 seconds or less. Out. Out. Ugh, Jared. I don't think it's okay. enough. I think, I, I think Jay Rich is, honestly, I think Jay Rich at his contract may be a better, better value for what this team needs right now than if you had to choose between the two of those guys. That's okay. We'll just cut this portion of the podcast. <laughs> Jared Weiss writes for The Athletic, and he's a friend of the pod. Uh, thanks so much, Jared. Enjoy the game. We'll talk to you soon. Oh, thanks again to Jared Weiss of The Athletic for coming on and talking to us about all things trade rumors and trade deadline. I'm sure that we will talk about that some more today, talk about that some more in the coming weeks. What we're going to do for the rest of the pod is talk about the news and some of those rumblings that uh, we just discussed. But first, let's talk about our friends at betonline.ag, the presenting sponsor of this podcast. BetOnline.ag is the number one spot for all of your best sports wagering action for 2022. To celebrate the new year, they rolled out a new updated desktop and mobile website. If you use the promo code CLNS50, CLNS50, you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if you sign up right now. From football and basketball to UFC or your favorite casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers for 2022. Speaking of which, Alex, your Titans... Oh, my, I can't, I can't believe Tannehill didn't win a playoff game. Shocker, uh, I know. Uh, so Tannehill is out, but the uh, Cincinnati Bengals move on, and they are getting 7.5 against the Chiefs, who are at home. So the Chiefs are uh, minus 7.5 on betonline.ag. Give us your thoughts as our resident football guru. You know, I think that I, I, I want to give some respect to Joe Burrow, who is very good, and the Cincinnati Bengals, who played a very nice game against the Tennessee Titans. Um, that being said, I do think that uh, there's a pretty stark difference between the Chiefs and the Titans heading into this game, namely that Patrick Mahomes is a great deal better at winning football games than Ryan Tannehill, who exists purely to make me sad. Um, so... I would say seven and a half. That seems about right to me. I would, I, I think, honestly, I might even lean Chiefs in that scenario. I just feel like Mahomes is primed to go on another monster game and take the Chiefs to the Super Bowl to try and avenge their loss to Tom Brady's Bucks last year. Well, uh, I'm sure football fans are still catching them bre- their breath from this past weekend, but. Once you have caught your breath, head over to betonline.ag, the fastest and easiest place to wager all of your favorite sports bets, Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, let's talk about the news. Uh, the news mostly is, of course, trade deadline stuff, uh, rumors and rumblings, but we have some actual basketball to discuss. And since our last podcast, there was that loss to Charlotte that... Um, once again, the, the Celtics teased some fourth quarter life, but not enough of it. Uh, then that loss to Portland, which once again, the Celtics just collapsed in the fourth quarter. Another thing they do well in the fourth. And then they beat the Washington Wizards behind 51 points from Jason Tatum. So what do you want to talk about, the good or the bad? Because it's it's pretty diametrically opposed for, for the past week of games. Let's do the bad first. Okay, tell us about the bad. <laughs> I mean, what is there to tell you? It's the same thing over and over again. It's like Groundhog Day of the season. It's just the same collapse late in the game 
You don't know why. They check out. They stop moving. They stop moving the ball. And then it just happens. And it's almost like you can predict it happening on, on a game-to-game basis. Any game they're supposed to win, they won't. Any game they shouldn't, they do. I don't really know what to make of it. I don't know how to give meaningful analysis on it. It's just gotten to the point where things need to change. And the most obvious way to change it is moving players off of the roster and new ones onto it, which I'm sure we will talk more about. The Portland loss was particularly grim, uh, given that Yusuf Nurkic, who is by all accounts having a really rough season, and Portland in general, who are having a really rough season. I mean, Nurkic absolutely abused the Celtics front court in that game. And one of the things that, you know, has kind of been a, a lone bright spot for the Celtics this season has been their front court defense, which has at times been pretty stout and pretty good at preventing shots around the rim. So to see Nurkic just get whatever he wants for a Portland team that is frankly going as nowhere as the Celtics appear to be was pretty upsetting. That being said, you know, the, like true Celtics fashion this whole year, just when you think it's time to blow it up and, you know, punt on the season, Jason Tatum rolls out and drops a 51-10-7 game, showing that he really is a true, like, top 20 guy when he's locked in and at his best ability. So I agree with you, JQ. It's a schizophrenic season and a schizophrenic team where it's pretty hard to pin an emotion on them. So I, I promise I was listening, Alex, but I was also not listening because I was looking up some stats. And to really punctuate, which we've done a number of times, I mean, this is redundant, how stinky the Celtics are in the fourth quarter. And this is, this is pretty uh, remarkable. They're 26th in fourth quarter assists. They're 26th in fourth quarter field goal percent. They're 26th in fourth quarter three-point percent. And they're 24th in fourth quarter plus minus. And all that adds up to they're not good in the fourth quarter to uh, – to really underline what it looks like to be good in the fourth quarter, whether or not these things are causal or related or whatever. The Suns, a very good basketball team, are first in fourth quarter assists, first in fourth quarter field goal percent, third in fourth quarter three-point percent, and first in fourth quarter plus minus. So if you want to get it done, get it done in the fourth, and that's not where the Celtics get it done. Uh, That Wizards game was fun, though. It's nice to score 51 points against uh, a Wizards team that plays like plays like dogs on a Sunday afternoon, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. The stats really startled me. Um, I, I do think that it, it also makes me happy I, as much as I'm kind of belittling the 51 points. I mean, the number of teammate duos who have uh, both scored 50 points with 10 rebounds in a season is a, that's a very short list. And Jason Datum and Jalen Brown are on that list. So uh no, don't break them up, but the supporting cast, yeah, that probably needs some work, which is why we love talking about the trade deadline. Anything we missed? <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, Jason Tatum, meanwhile, uh, remains sixth in jersey sales uh, this season. I think he was sixth last season. Sounds about right. And uh, as much as I just bemoaned their fourth quarter performances, he's sixth and fourth quarter points scored. So good job, JT. Good job, anyone who uh, bought a Jason Tatum jersey. You did it. Um, Juancho, he's not on the Celtics anymore. I think we talked about this, but if we hadn't on this podcast, I mean, it's certainly, that's the kind of move that underscores that a, um, the Celtics are looking to get under the salary salary cap. I don't think that there's a move out there that would change their mind, but B that they're doing things smarter than I think we realize, because 
I think after that trade happened, the narrative was, oh, they're throwing in the towel. They don't want to pay the tax. They're just pretending to compete this season. But they generated a $6.9 million uh, traded player exception. So that is a very shrewd bit of front officing. Um, I don't know. I mean, I I think that uh, PJ Dozier actually has been a pretty good player uh, when he's been on the court and able to stay healthy. The issue with PJ has been that he gets hurt a lot. But if this also puts the Celtics in a position where they can kind of see what they've got while he's rehabbing and potentially if the market is cold for PJ coming off of a recent ACL injury, they might be able to swoop him and grab him for a below market deal, which would actually be a pretty valuable piece, assuming he's able to come back to some level of uh, what he was previously capable of. With Bull Bull, I think, you know, Bull Bull is projected to be among the best centers in the league in five years, according to any NBA 2K algorithm. Uh, <laughs> if you are a 2K player out there, you know that Bull Bull's value is to be held in the future rather than now. I don't know. I think it's perfectly fine to take a flyer on him. Bull Bull is a fascinating player who appears to at times do things that mimic like Kevin Durant and other kind of spidery ball handlers. But unfortunately, uh, ball ball also has a tendency to get injured if there's a strong breeze that day. So it's, it's a total, you know, it's a total flyer, but I don't think it's a particularly risky flyer. I'm pretty happy with it. Uh, either of those players could potentially be useful and are definitely more useful uh, to the Celtics than Juancho was. No offense, Juancho. I think he has had some fair amount of success elsewhere and probably might again in the future, but just he wasn't good for the Celtics. Uh, evidently, the Spurs see something in him that the Celtics do not or cannot. And the financials really line up. There is a growing belief that if the Celtics are going to try to get under the tax. They will need to consider, you know, Jalen Brown's likely and unlikely bonuses, which would put them at about 2.7 million over the tax right now. Uh, And frankly, you could just get under it pretty easily by packaging one of those players with some cash has been noted ad infinitum uh, by my peers. So I don't think we need to spend any more time on that, but I do think it was a pretty good trade. Well, actually I I want to spend time on this because, um, This idea that if the Celtics get under the tax floor, first, obviously, they're not penalized, but they will make $10 million. Can you explain that to us? Okay, so the very short version is basketball-related income is calculated by the NBA and then Mm -hmm. redistributed um, for teams who are not paying the tax and are not in certain markets, like some very big market teams like New York and Los Angeles, they just don't ever get it because they shouldn't, because they have these rights and advantages. But the rest of the teams around the NBA, if they don't pay the tax, will get whatever the money goes above a certain amount that then gets redistributed. And because of the Warriors and a couple other teams going really heavy into the tax this year, there's actually a substantial amount of money coming back potentially. So, so, uh, Two things on that. First, so it's basically like baseball's revenue sharing, but way more complicated. And second, so there's a world where the Celtics send PJ Dozer uh, and or Ball Ball to OKC and a bag of cash. But then say they send $2 million out, they're going to net $8 million because they'll get $10 million back. I'm sure it's like different pots of money, but yeah. All right. So yeah, PJ Dozer is definitely not going to be on the Celtics in a few weeks. Uh, uh, and, and then I want to pause on the Jalen Brown bonuses. I don't know that it deserves too much of our airtime, unfortunately, but one of those bonuses is tied to all-star appearances. 
And last we saw Jalen Brown was 10th among guards in the East. And so uh, for those of you who don't know, fan voting is 50% uh, for the starters, players and media account for the other 25, 25%. And then the coaches pick the reserves. It looks like Tatum is going to make the team, whether or not he deserves. We're both, we're all nodding. Does anyone want to play devil's advocate? He's going to make it. Okay. So Tatum, congratulations. What do we think of the odds that Brown makes it with, again, the, the politics and the, 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 the Celtics actual record, um, given that the coaches make the final say for a 12-man roster, not 15 or 17, but 12. I think there's a chance that he makes it just because he is very well regarded among coaches and players alike. So that probably gives him a slight advantage over where his play is. And if he had been around as much, if he hadn't missed so much time, if he hadn't gone through a little bit of a slump, then I think he'd be a lock as well. But, you know, things happened and he's where he's at. So it's, to me, it's a coin flip at this point. I'm a little dubious, frankly. I feel like Jalen is playing pretty well and is a borderline all-star level player. And a lot of people will acknowledge that. But I also think that it happens to be a year where the guard depth in the East is yeah. really heavy. So people like Fred Van Vliet, for example, Drew Holiday, James Harden, DeMar DeRozan, Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, Trey Young. These are all players that have as good, if not a better case than Jalen to make the all-star team. Darius Garland in Cleveland is having a great year. Uh, LaMelo Ball is having an all-star level year. So I, I think there's, it's going to be really hard. And I think it has more to do with guard and forward depth in the Eastern Conference right now than it does with Jalen's actual play. Yeah, I'll play devil's advocate. I, I don't expect that he will make it again. It's a 12 man roster. If it was 15, that's a little different. Um, Damar and Trey Young feel like the, the, the guards. Zach Levine might continue to be injured, although I think he might be back sooner than expected. So if Zach Levine is injured, maybe he's out. James Harden, I think, politically makes it, but uh, I'm sure there are some people who aren't happy with him or impressed by his play. Kyrie is number six in voting. I, I desperately hope that that's a non-issue. But yeah, LaMelo Ball, Fred Van Vliet, and then Garland. I think give Brown or Jalen a real issue. I don't, I think he can jump, jump Derek Rose. Those are all the players in front of him. So I think he's, I, I'm not rooting for injuries. So I'm not, I'm not hoping that this happens. He's maybe an injury or two away from uh, actually getting named to the team. But Alex, to your point, the guard depth in the East is not spectacular, but neither is Jalen Brown's all-star case. So <laughs> there you go. But uh, it's worth monitoring, A, because we love Jalen Brown and we love Celtic pride, and B, because it will affect the bonuses he gets paid out and thus the Celtics' ta- uh, tax bill. So I think Saturday of this week it will be announced on, on television in one of those shows. So this the answer to this question that only I'm asking will be <laughs> answered on Saturday. Anyways, we I guess we should... Oh, well, we have a little bit of news we can just uh, breeze through. Hauser's been playing great in Maine. I know that we have some Hauser fans on the pod. You, either, either of you want to go to bat for adding him to the rotation? What do you have to lose? Why not? <laughs> Literally, just throw him out there and see what happens. I mean, we so desperately need anybody at all that can come off the bench and hit a three. So why the fuck not? <laughs> so the intern wrote in our notes that Denzel Washington signed with the Maine Celtics, which I suspect mightily they meant that Denzel would be Valentine. Cool. 
Now, uh, I am going to use this this moment to say that um, the new Macbeth doesn't add anything to the story Macbeth, but that Denzel is amazing. And if for some reason you pay for Apple TV, uh, you should watch that movie. Also, it's 90 minutes. How amazing is that? So uh, shout out Denzel Washington and shout out Denzel Valentin. Um, Fun player, fun college player, reasonably successful career as a pro, but I don't know that he's going to do it. He's going to move the needle for the Celtics. Maybe he'll move the needle say, for the main Celtics. I, I will say Denzel has among the most memorable bad shot and air ball compilations I've ever seen for a current NBA player. When that dude misses, he misses bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is a podcast, so referencing a video doesn't work, but if anyone's seen the video of Westbrook hitting the top of the backboard uh, from a few days ago, Alex, you see me play basketball. I could do yeah. that. Yeah, that's true. You can. Maybe you should uh, go hit up LeBron and see if uh, they've got a spot for you in LA. I would do it for far less than $40 million. Let me tell you that. <laughs> All right. So we were patient listeners and we let Jared kind of fill us in. And Jared's obviously more plugged in than Alex and I are. And, and maybe even you, Justin. But anything that he said that really uh, rattled your cage or you disagree with or you wanted to shout out i mean it was a concise overview of what we've been hearing but anything about that uh worth kind of doubling back on i mean regarding the mavericks uh i do think that there might be something there but it's going to take smarter minds than ours i think because we were talking in the chat earlier and it's just really hard to construct a trade that makes sense between both teams which tells me that if there is any you know, fire to that particular smoke, that it's probably a three-team deal. I think... Yeah, I, I agree. I think that um, the idea of trading Marcus to one of the Texas teams would maybe be a little bit more palatable to him just because mm-hmm. you know, he's from there and he's got connections. Uh, Dallas, I think, would be interesting. But again, as you mentioned, it is really hard to come up with a trade that makes sense for both of those teams that they would actually be interested in. I do think that uh, there's another Texas team that would definitely be interested in Marcus Smart Services. And I'm kind of curious to see uh, if your thoughts on the San Antonio Spurs as a potential destination might have come up recently. Uh, if you're referencing Brian Windhorst talking about a one DeJounte Murray being potentially available in the offseason. I may or may not be res- uh, referencing that. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that too much because I'm just going to make myself sad. So either way, it's going to make me sad. That's the, perf- that's the perfect, perfect thing for anyone to have ever said. I love the Spurs and I love the Celtics. Whoa, I hadn't thought about that in, in that much depth. Um, so... Uh, j- <laughs> While I emotionally grapple, John Hollinger and Jay King had a piece on The Athletic today about the state of the Celtics. And um, one of the things they they talked about was smart. And they said, you know, the idea is that this is going to be a gnarly defense and the Jays are going to cook an offense. And that's the path to contention. And in fact, they talked about the grit and grind Grizzlies, which is pretty cool. So check that out in The Athletic. But the point being that there's this suggestion that for all of the frustrations uh, that smart offers or the things that he doesn't offer on offense, him at the front and Rob Williams at the back really fits what supposedly the team is looking for. Uh, I'll use this to plug a few things and and then we'll talk a little bit longer. So uh, go ahead and rate and uh, subscribe to our podcast. If you haven't, wherever you found this podcast, five stars, six, if they'll let you uh, check out divine sweater and Celtics wire, obviously. And then check out our Twitter page at Celtics lab. We ran a poll today that's ongoing. What will the Celtics do with, uh, 
Marcus Smart, and the options are won't trade him and should not, won't trade him but should, will trade him but shouldn't, will trade him but should. And the, a plurality of people have said they won't trade him and they shouldn't. And we have the most statistically sound following on Twitter, so uh, you can take that to the bank. The Celtics shouldn't and won't <laughs> trade Marcus Smart. But uh, go let your voice be heard because that, that poll is ongoing. And the results are much more mixed, I think, than I would have expected because uh, nearly 40% of people think that he's going to be traded. And that that's a sad universe to live in. I wouldn't want to spend the next two weeks thinking that he's going to be traded. And I won't. Uh, speaking of which, who in the next two weeks, let's make some predictions, will be traded? Justin. On the Celtics? Uh, the only the person I would say for sure is Dennis Schroeder. I, I really, unless the thing you just said won't happen, happens, I, I, don't, I do think he's by far the most obvious candidate. Yeah, that felt like when I said sometimes there isn't fire behind the smoke and Jared said, yes, there is. <laughs> I think he was talking about Schroeder. Uh, Alex, you yeah. can't pick Dennis, who is the second most likely Celtic to be traded. Second most likely Celtic to be traded is unfortunately a Celtic that I actually like a great deal and would be sad to see him go. But uh, second most likely Celtic to be traded is certainly Al Horford in my mind. Yeah, I, just, that... I think he's the best kind of veteran asset that this team has in a lot of ways that they could net a reasonable return for, particularly given that I think a team might look at him as both a playoff caliber center and also um, an expiring contract that an expensive team could use to clear some cap space. So I think Hal Horford would be the guy. We've, we've kind of danced around this all season that a, a lateral move might shuffle the deck and uh, change the juju in the locker room. But ultimately the fate of this team is on the Jays and if they don't have like a high caliber point guard or high caliber shooters, it might just not be the year. I, it occurs to me, I suspect that Brad Stevens and his regime and uh, Imo Doka and his regime have the blessing of ownership. So even if nothing happens at the deadline and the end of the season ends kind of ugly, that whatever happens on the radio or among fans, that, that those two uh, groups of people have cover. But I do wonder if, Throwing a little red meat to to angry or Celtics fans makes sense. So I'm going to say that between Neesmith, Langford, and Pritchard, they're packaged with a second round pick or or something to bring in a, even a name, which I hate. Uh, also, I learned that Goran Dragic has been working out at the Heat facility all season, so I'm not getting my hopes up on that one. So uh, yeah, I think one of the kids is going to go. Which one? I don't know should or will go but i can't imagine all three of them stick around all things considered and anyone want to make the case for them paying the tax i know both of you think that they maybe would pay the tax i don't think that they would for like a john collins kind of a trade yeah if you're if you're getting someone who can definitely be a part of the future and will be an impact player even if they're not you know quote unquote the guy if you were making a clear, bona fide, yes, this is definitely an upgrade for our future, then yeah, something like that, it's a possibility. I don't, I don't want to say it's likely, but I do think there is a world where a trade like that can happen where they would do that. I don't think it's likely, but I do think it's potentially the right move for exactly what you just said, Justin. And I think the real reason actually might not even necessarily be that that player uh, is there to be a long-term fixture for the Celtics plan. 
The fact is that the Celtics war chest of assets is largely pretty empty right now. And they need to make some moves as much to just acquire tradable players that have some value as anything. So I would be in favor of the Celtics paying the tax, even for a person that they don't necessarily feel is part of their long-term plans, as long as that player has some legitimate trade value to them such that they could be packaged for somebody else. I So I take an opposite position. I think that they won't, and there isn't benefit insofar as they get that, that check at the end of the year. And if they intend to pay the tax during Jason Tatum's prime for three or four years, the repeater tax gets expensive very fast. And so taking a year off, they didn't pay the tax last year, so I guess not taking a year off, but not starting that tax bill a year early to maybe get out of the first round. I, I don't know. The idea of bringing on assets is really interesting. I, I actually, that's the only reason I would want John Collins. Just the floor spacing with uh, Time Lord John Collins and the Jays absolutely does not compute for me. So unless you're getting him strictly to uh, trade him again, I'm not seeing it. But uh, I suppose a player of that caliber, if you can turn Pritchard and that Portland second round pick into John Collins, you go for it. All right. Well, uh, we can end there because between now and next time we meet, everything that we just said will have been disproven and some other trade will happen and other rumors will be around for us to discuss. Thanks for listening to the Celtics Lab podcast brought to you by CLNS and Celtics Wire and, of course, betonline.ag. Please consider rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. Be on the lookout for a very special edition of the Celtics Lab podcast with Justin and a pretty awesome guest that uh, is already out there but might be dropping on a podcatcher near you. And, of course, thanks again to Jared for stopping by checking out on The Athletic.